You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Welcome to episode 44 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, we took a little hiatus for a couple weeks just uh, with schedules and all that funky stuff getting in the way. (laughs) Uh, we are back. We are back with a vengeance. We're going to do a lot of leaf talk, even though they are their their season's done. Their golf season's underway <laughs> here in Ontario. That said, um, let's get uh, let's get started with how you're doing. Uh yeah, like you said, um, you know, at least I mean, people are still reeling from that loss. I mean, it's been like what two, three weeks after, and you know, everyone is still complaining about it. But hey passes in the past let's move forward but i'm doing good man i'm doing really great um big news out my way received the second dose of the vaccine there you um, go there you go really really happy really great nothing metal sticking to me right now so yeah that that mrna stuff is flowing through me like i'm a superhero right now but that's right <laughs> other than that um writing a lot of Lee stuff, draft content, but how are you doing? And happy belated Father's Day to you and all the other fathers out there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, happy belated Father's Day to everyone out there. Um, yeah, my my second Father's Day, my little guy was about a, uh, just over a month old when we had the first one, but yeah, 13 months old and, and really enjoyed it. Got my first little uh, crayon scribble card and, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what uh, having a little guy is all about. Uh, actually... Big news out my way too is that uh, my, my sister actually gave birth uh, this morning. Uh, we are recording Wednesday this morning Aww. to uh, I, I, my first niece. So she's got a little four-year-old, and uh, now we have a niece in the family as well. So uh, welcome to the world, Miller uh, Calhoun. Um, beautiful little girl, and uh, very excited to hopefully meet her very very soon so yeah a new addition to the family always fun to talk about but Mm -hmm. what's better than hockey (laughs) and that's 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 really what we're here for (laughs) but first off congrats to her as well yes yeah no absolutely everyone's doing well mother's well baby's well um everyone's doing well so um yeah like i said very happy that the addition uh is is here and and uh yeah, it's. Uh, I know my little guy's excited to meet his new cousin as well. So, um, always fun, always fun. Next generation stepping up. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, now, and my nephew now has a goalie uh, to put in net. So uh, <laughs> when he when he's taking his his slap is his clappers on the driveway. So perfect. Yeah, yeah. But uh, before we get going on leaf talk, which we're gonna try and devote this, uh, like I said, we missed we missed a couple weeks with schedules getting in the way, and um, you know the reopening in Ontario kind of taking place over the last couple of weeks. Um, but before we get into the leaf talk, we're gonna run over a few things that we've missed out on. Obviously, we won't do our our semifinal predictions because we're well into the semifinals. Yeah. Um, you know, the Golden Knights obviously took down the uh, the Colorado Avalanche, which I believe a lot of people had as their favorites to win the Cup. Um, Tampa's running uh, rampant again. Uh, obviously, we saw an 8 nothing win the other night. <clears throat> 
But uh, some big uh, some big college news as well. Owen Power, who is projected to be the number one pick in this year's draft, did comment in saying that he will be returning to the University of Michigan uh, next season. So that's that's interesting, especially for a number one pick. Um, you know, in in recent memory, we've seen a lot of those number one overall picks making the jump right to the NHL. And for a guy like Power to come out and say he wants to go back to college, obviously finish up there. Um, that's, that's an interesting move by power. Yeah. And like you said, you see the likes of, you know, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, throwing Jack Hughes in there. Um, even Nico Heischer in between there. I, I mean, two out of those four are like perennial all-star franchise, all three players. And Two of them got, you know, the short end of the stick coming into like a rebuilding team, not as much high hopes. And people are taking their first few years as like, oh, they're already a bust, but give them some time. You know, they're still really good prospects for Owen Power to come out and say that, you know, he's going to take the time and go back to college. It's great. And there were a lot of jokes going around saying that it was a subliminal message for him not to be drafted by Buffalo. But it's the right move. I mean, he showed a lot of promise at the World Hockey Championships with his composure and his ability to play with men. Uh, still very young, wants to work on his overall and offensive output as well, which, you know, he could be a real major factor. He's got the defensive game down. Um, when that time comes, he'll be ready. So take the time, let him develop. Um, you know, it, it, it's just it's just allowing him to get better and there's no need to rush him. Uh, especially on a team like the Buffalo Sabres where things have just not gone right. You want to do this properly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're uh, you're right there with that. And and for him to get an opportunity, obviously Michigan got bounced from the NCAA tournament this uh, this time around. Yes. Um, in in uh, a very special fashion. So it's kind of understandable that he wants to you know go back, take a run at it again, and see what he's able to do. Um, obviously we've seen power at the world championships and, um, you know, just kind of build his stock as well and what he's going to be capable of when he does reach the NHL. I think this is just a great development opportunity for him as well. Um, you know, for him to go back, kind of get another taste of, of college hockey before he makes that jump. I I don't think it's going to hurt him in any way. Um, in fact, it might benefit, uh, whatever, you know, whatever team he ends up with, if let's say he does not go first overall, um, but whatever team that, uh, you know, he, he ends up with, I think it will benefit them because, you know, you get another year out of this kid and, mm-hmm. and, and to, to allow him to develop a little bit more at the college level might not be the worst decision. Um, that being said, uh, there were a couple hot takes this past, uh, these past couple weeks um, when it comes to, uh, comments made by by NHL players um, regarding certain aspects as to why they were knocked out of the playoffs. Obviously, we're going back a little bit here with with Mark Shifley saying that the Department of Player Safety shut him down rather than uh, the the Montreal Canadiens. Um, that was an interesting comment by Mark Shifley. We all know how he felt about his five game suspension in that series. The other one uh, that I wanted to mention was. Uh, Dougie Hamilton and and we'll get into Dougie Hamilton a little bit more here uh, later in the show but he commented on the fact that you know his team was knocked out by a lightning team that was 17 million dollars over the cap Um, and that's that's an interesting comment as well because that's something that you and I have talked about on this show before 
where there's that Patrick Kane loophole, that loophole that the Chicago Blackhawks used, um, I think, on a number of occasions where, you know, injured players that were regularly in the lineup were put on long-term IR to bring in other players at the deadline, allowing the team to bring those, uh, you know, those regulars back just in time for playoffs when the cap kind of disappears. Um, and, and the Lightning did that. They got Kucherov back um, right at, right as the playoffs started. Uh, obviously, the as I mentioned, the cap goes out the window. So Hamilton obviously pretty frustrated with 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 that uh, that side of things. And and I want to get your take on it. I, I want to understand. You know, I know what my point of view is. I I don't personally like the fact that you can go over the cap uh, even going into playoffs. But I want to get your take on. You know, a team like the Lightning, who, yes, won the Cup last year and, yes, are in the Final Four and looking to make a, a, a push for the Stanley Cup once again this year, but are doing so at $17 million over the cap. Yeah, I mean, I understand like, teams deal with injuries and you put them on LTIR and you want them to, you know, take the time, especially if it's a star player like a Kucherov, like a Patrick Kane, you want them to take the time and heal up. And if it leads them to the playoffs, I totally get it. It's understandable. Um, but the loophole is still in effect. And unless the NHL does something about that, teams are going to use it to their advantage. I mean, we've seen the Maple Leafs do it. Um, especially this year with Frederick Anderson going on LTIR, bringing in Nick Foligno, um, managing their cap situation so that way he comes back closer to when, you know, the playoffs started. I'm thinking that, I mean, it's not an issue, but it can become one where teams could abuse it to the heart's content. And I think $18 million is definitely a lot of money to be over the cap. There's no doubt about it. Um, I wonder if maybe the league could probably put a cap onto how much a team can exceed LTIR, but still manage to help them out in the benefit of like, let's say again, another star player does go out like an Austin Matthews. There's 10 million out the books. I mean, it, it's difficult because, you know, it's important because you don't want to cheat the system, but in this case, you have to look out for the player's best interest. If they're able to go on LTIR, they're able to go on LTIR. Kucherov was able to go on there. They've had tests and they have had all the like written documents to show that he deserves to be on there with the NHL. That's understandable. But until the league does something about it, I doubt that they will. Um, we're still going to be seeing that nonstop. And I, it's not a bad thing, but it can become annoying, especially, again, if you're $18 million over the cap. I mean, I'd be pretty frustrated, too. But at the same time, you even look at the team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, even without Nikita Kucherov they were still pretty much a perennial cup contender no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I think I get, like, I, I, I like your idea of maybe putting a cap on how much you can go over the uh, when it comes to LTIR. A cap on the cap. Um, yeah, a cap on the cap. My, my <laughs> other thing is it's kind of, in a way, the opposite of tanking, um, yeah. in, in a sense. And, and the NHL works so hard to avoid, you know, all this talk and speculation that teams are tanking. And now it's kind of like they're coming back and they're finding ways to, you know, teams are finding ways to to kind of head into the playoffs and knowing knowing very well that when they get there, they're going to be, you know, 15 to 20 million over the cap. And it, I, I know players need documentation and teams need documentation to go on LTIR. I know it's not it's it's kind of like a doctor's note at work, but mm -hmm. um, 
I wonder, I wonder at what point you kind of draw the line. And that's where, that's where I, I'm more interested. And I'd love if, you know, if, if listeners want to want to pipe in on this conversation and definitely talk to Peter and I about this, I mean, yes. I'm all ears because I don't really know what the solution is here. I, I, I think that there is, there is an opportunity to solve the problem early so that you don't run into that, that bigger, more widespread issue. Um, and you want to talk about issues in sports? Talk about the sticky, sticky stuff with pitchers in the MLB. That's just oh god, off. that's that, that's become an absolute <laughs> sideshow. But th- you have an opportunity here to close that door before it becomes a major issue. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what the solution is, and maybe, as you mentioned, putting a cap on the cap is exactly what the NHL needs to do. Yeah. And I'm not a business major or finance broker kind of thing because, hey, that's not what I went to school for. But like, even so, trying to understand the rulings of the salary cap, people are still finding, I mean, are still understanding it as we go as well. And just to point out, 98.8 million was their final cap hit. Man, they almost had a hundred million. And I think the Maple Leafs were at least maybe five, six million over the cap. Which isn't a big, I mean, it's it's a small number, but man, you're you're set you're you're reaching into double digits with the Tampa Bay Lightning right now. But hey, credit to them for using it to their advantage because hey, they're they're like you said, it's a chance to win. They they want to put their best team or best team forward possible, and like, just like the Chicago Blackhawks in the past, I mean, who wouldn't want to do it, right? Well, and, and as as we talk here, they are tied 2-2, um, you know, up three games to two uh, against the Islanders uh, in game six here. So, Shout out I mean, to official Chris Lee. Yeah, yeah, official Chris Lee, who <laughs> uh, I, I just saw your tweet. Uh, you think he should be fired. Um, I don't yeah. – I didn't see the call, but uh, I, you know, I, I'll stand with you on that one. It's gone um, out of hand every single game he's officiated. Yeah. Montreal and Vegas, even this game right now where Kucherov gets cross-checked in the back, it, enough is enough. And who scored the tying goal? But uh, but Mayfield himself. So, mm. um, yeah, no, I just, uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe you do a playoff cap, and maybe that's what you do. You do a cap uh, in the regular season, and you do a playoff cap, knowing that there are going to be teams that use this loophole to their advantage. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I just it, it's I, I I like I said I don't know what the solution is, but speaking of sorry, go I was ahead. Just about to add one point. At the same time, you don't want to punish teams for players getting injured. I mean, that's injuries happen. Like you you, you just you don't want to punish them because of that. I mean, it, it, it's always going to happen. Players are going to get injured and you don't want to ruin that or say they can't play because of an injury. Cause if they come back, then you have to work everything around again. So again, it's a fine line because you shouldn't have to punish them, but you don't want it to be too excessive. Like the Tampa Bay lightning. No, I, yeah, that's, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think if you, that, and that's why I kind of think that a cap, come playoff time maybe it's maybe it's a little bit higher than what your regular season cap is yeah just knowing that teams will will kind of use that even if you say five to seven million over the cap it's reasonable in a sense um when you're talking about you know a team going in at 
nearly a hundred million dollars, you're talking about like an MLB team now. Like you're talking about a yeah. salary cap that's well well above what what league cap rules, you know, suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where I think that the issue and the frustration from a guy like Dougie Hamilton, whose Carolina Hurricanes certainly were not in that same boat, um, and, and obviously took took the uh, the loss to the the Tampa Bay Lightning. But regardless, um, we were going to talk about. Uh, individual award nominees this this week uh obviously that uh that's kind of out of the question now that we do have some winners already named um so we're going to quickly we'll quickly run through that and what's left over we'll kind of you know give our thoughts on the on the few that are left over but uh if if you know if there's anything you want to say as i'm going through just just stop me we're going to run through these awards as quickly as possible here just to get uh so we can get to our leaf talk which is you know, the most important thing on this episode. So, <laughs> um, but the King Clancy Memorial Trophy, uh, the, the finalists were Curtis Gabriel, Pecorine, PK Subban, uh, Pecorine walked away with that one. Uh, the Bill Masters, Masterton, uh, Memorial Trophy, um, obviously Matt Dumba, Oscar Limbaum, uh, Limblom, sorry, and Patrick Marlowe, uh, were voted as, um, by the Professional Hockey Writers Association, Oscar Lindblom came away with that one, obviously coming back from his uh, his diagnosis with Ewing sarcoma um, back in December 2019. So big, uh, big for Lindblom there. The Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award, Renee Hess, Black Girl Hockey Club, uh, Kevin Hodgson from Heroes, and Howard Smith from Pittsburgh Ice were named as the finalists. Kevin Hodgson took that one home. Um, obviously a big, big award in uh, when we talk about uh, – equality in the game and continued growth in the game which we are looking forward to uh jack adams as the nhl's best head coach rod brindamore dean evison and joel quenville and rod brindamore took that one home um our sheldon keith was what sixth i believe in i believe in so voting. Yeah. um so not bad not bad um I do, I do like the Rod Brindamore winning this one. Obviously, the Carolina Hurricanes. We've talked about it before that they went and they went and just took over this season, but did it so very quietly. And I think that kind of is a testament to how he led the team back in his playing days as well. So I, I like that vote. Um, I like that uh, that he picked up that award. Uh, the Frank J. Selke, which is the NHL's best defensive forward, Alexander Barkov. Patrice Bergeron and Mark Stone. Um, Alexander Barkov took this one home, and it's his first Selkie trophy. Uh, if you ask anybody, I think a lot of people will say that Barkov is one of the more underrated players in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much anymore, knowing that uh, he's a guy that uh, is definitely respected as one of the best defensive forwards in the game. But uh, definitely a guy that uh, earned it and, and deserves it. The Lady Bing Memorial Trophy, um, Jacob Slavin, Jared Spurgeon, and Austin Matthews were up for this award, and this created a lot of debate, a lot of debate. And our our good friend Damian Cox decided to get involved in the conversation on Twitter uh, regarding this <laughs> award, um, believed that McDavid and Matthews deserved recognition as the Lady Bing trophy winners um obviously combines sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct with a high level of play 
Um, Jacob Slavin had one penalty all season long. He's a he's a top end defenseman. Had one penalty all year long, and it was for a puck over the glass. It's hard to argue that a guy like that deserve doesn't deserve to win the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy. Uh, yeah, I'm going back and I'm getting a headache with uh with seeing those comments. Um, but yeah, Slavin was the clear cut choice. I mean, one penalty out of 56 games, like you mentioned, puck over glass, not a stick infraction, hit to the head, suspension worthy play like McDavid almost had. Yeah, and you know he plays against top com- top competition every single day or not day, every single game, and logs a hell of a lot of minutes. That, to me, I, I think Austin Matthews, okay, he was, Matthews had, I think, at least, what, maybe 10 penalty minutes all season, 12. Um, he, should, he should be nominated. He, he leads by example on the ice with his play and everything like that. But to say that, and I, I, Damian Cox's argument was, Oh, Austin Matthews has the most goals and McDavid has the most points and they're getting, um, you know, shunned with this award. He does know that there's the Art Ross and Rocket Richard trophy for a reason, right? Because that argument just totally doesn't make any sense. And and he went off on this and every like seeing the comments like it is what it is. Like you could read the tweets itself, but man, I, I don't understand how he came to that conclusion because of the fact that one McDavid almost got suspended that, that to me, if you're suspended or like close in like, or you get fined, you shouldn't be in conversation at all. And also Matthews had, you know, a, a few more penalty minutes than Slavin, but you know, he did lead by example on the ice with his goal scoring granted, but you know, he already has the rock of Richard. He, McDavid has the Art Ross. You don't, you don't need to, I, you don't need to justify that they should be award winners because they're top players. The award is for gentlemanly conduct, and to me, when I think of gentlemanly conduct, I think of you know playing the game properly without putting your team in jeopardy and getting you know, uh, so many penalties and infractions. Yeah, I mean, I, that, it, it just boggles my mind. It was just very Damien Cox uh, uh, to do something like that and take on like the entire PWHA um, uh, or PHWA. Sorry, I I just don't get it. I I don't know if you're just looking for you know Twitter to turn on you and basically make you know make you famous again just because of your comments or or what he's I, I really don't know what he's looking for but I do think Slavin deserved it um like I said uh, one penalty one minor penalty yeah. it was it was a puck over the glass there's really no arguing it um but to what take was the last the, time you got one penalty in a season well and and that's what I mean like <laughs> to, to take on the entire writers association and, and basically say that they should not have the right to vote um is just I mean, it's it's asinine. It, it's stupid. It's uh, it, it it's is. like I said. It's very Damien Cox to do something like that. So, um, yeah, I it is what it is. I just I just loved you know it was very hockey Twitter for that to be made into such a shitstorm that you know it has to be a conversation afterwards. Yeah. Um, but you know it is what it is, and and that's what we thrive on, I guess, on Twitter. But, um, moving on. The Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year Award, um, Mark Bergevin, 
Lou Lamorello and Bill Zito were uh, the finalists. Lou Lamorello uh, obviously took that one home. Leaf fans took a lot of heat with uh, their rival Mark Bergevin being voted uh, as as a finalist, as well as their former uh, GM Lou Lamorello being the ultimate winner. Um, that said, I mean Lamorello is is a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's a guy that has been in the league for for so many years. Has a way with his team. Has a way with his his uh, his players. Um, and and what he's built in New York is very deserving of this award. So, um, you know, no no hard feelings on the Leaf side from from my standpoint. But uh, definitely definitely a conversation that uh, sparked a lot of Leaf fans on Twitter again. Yeah, and I I, I think I I believe it was Earl Schwartz that I saw a tweet earlier today where Lou Lamorello won the award, but he's like he's been in some bad like he gave out some bad contracts in the past. Um he gave away Devin Tays, who looked really great for the Colorado Avalanche as a result of said contract situation. He gave up a first for Kyle Palmieri. Kyle Palmieri, I mean, great in the regular season, had great starts at the playoffs, but has kind of slowly tailed off as a result of it. So I think you can argue that some of his decisions in theory were great, but at the same time, just really quite hasn't worked out. And yeah, for me, I thought Bill Zito should have won considering the moves that he made to improve the Panthers lineup with all the depth and the offseason signings. Granted that he still had to work his way around the Sergei Bobrovsky contract and Florida was still at the top of the standing. So the fact that, you know, again, Spencer Knight's coming in, Chris Drieger looked pretty good. He built this team so that it can succeed. It just really didn't quite make the hurdle because he, he, the team faced Tampa Bay in the first round. $18 I mean, million that, dollars over the cap. Yeah. I mean, eighteen million dollars over the cap, but then again, they still looked—they still looked lethal, and that series was a hell of a series, no matter what. But the moves that he, that Bill Zito made, I thought, would have worked out better for his team than Lou Lamorello and the Islanders. Granted, that the Islanders are in the semifinal slash conference final right now. If Florida found some consistency, I think it would have worked out for them. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I—I I think. I think, to be honest, I think any of the three could have won, and and there there would be good reason as to why they were uh, you know named named the winner of the award. But um, you know, I think it comes down to the Islanders just being what they were able to do defensively, yeah. how they were able able to really control the game. Um, you know, he des- he deserved a nod and. And I do, I do agree with you. I think, I think Zito, you know, for doing what he did so early on, I would say early on in his career, um, yes. that's impressive. And this, I don't think this is going to be the last time that we talk about him a, no. in relation to this award. So that's, that's noteworthy as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Um, again, I think when it comes down to it, yeah, these guys build the teams, but it's most of the work's done on the ice. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, congratulations to Lou Amarello. And like I said, uh, no hard feelings from uh, this part of Leafs Nation. Um, you know, I think uh, I think we have Dubas here and he's doing a hell of a job as well. So uh, it'll be fun to watch how these teams both grow, especially if uh, Tampa Bay does, in fact, knock the Islanders out tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on. 
The Marc Messier NHL Leadership Award was just announced today as Patrice Bergeron will take that one home. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy that he, you know, in his first year as captain, um, and this is a guy who should have been a captain a long time ago. Unfortunately, Zidane Ochara was there. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he he's taking home the award. Um, he gave all the credit in his speech to his players, his family, uh, the team that surrounds him. Um, you know, in true captain fashion. Uh, and I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 150% of first ballot hall of famer when his time comes around. Um, just incredible for him and, and, and kind of got the award. Uh, the award was, uh, virtually handed to him by Mark Messier himself. What a moment for, for the, the Boston Bruins captain. Yeah, and in the highlight clip, they showed him dressed up as Elmo, and I think that's reason enough to give him the award. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> the work, the work that he's done outside of the community as well, with uh, the work with like kids and everything like that, it like it, it, it speaks true to his nature. I mean, he leads by example on the ice and off the ice as well. So I, I don't think there's anyone more deserving than Patrice Bergeron because we've seen him day in and day out, year after year or season after season of what he can do and the impact that he has on the community in Boston as well. So, yeah, uh, with the work that he's done, he is I you don't want to say that, you know, other players pale in comparison, but he went above and beyond with this award. And I think he really did deserve it. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, moving on from there, we'll kind of run over these last few awards with uh, with our votes as to who should be included or who should win the award, I should say. The Calder Memorial Trophy. And this one's interesting. Mm-hmm. Kirill Kaprasov, Alex Nedeljkovic, and Jason uh, Robertson. Now, the favorite is obviously Kirill Kaprasov. Uh, what he was able to do offensively for Minnesota, make them, you know, a, a, a playoff team. Um just incredible. Uh, obviously, you know, he's a guy that came over a little bit older uh, in terms of, uh, w- you know, his first year in the NHL. That said, there is no stipulation on the Calder Memorial Trophy when it comes to age. So my question to you, and, and it, what makes it even more interesting is there is talk that Kaprasov could go back to the KHL. So that's a whole nother story. I think we've talked about it on, on the last episode as well. But that, that that in itself just, you know, I feel bad for the Minnesota Wild uh, franchise and their fans if, in fact, that is the case. But in speaking about these finalists, Jason Robertson, what he was able to do in the in the time that he saw coming up with the Dallas Stars, that is worthy of at least some first place votes when it comes to the Calder Memorial Trophy. Are you on the page that Kaprasov should be the guy that takes it home? Or are you leaning more towards Robertson or Nadelkovich? This is an interesting battle. I mean, the fact that Nick, uh, Nick Robertson, who uh, maybe some point Nick Robertson, but Jason yeah. Robertson, um, 45 points, second in team scoring, um, that's no easy feat. And for Kiro Kapasov to lead the team in scoring as a rookie, I mean, we saw what Austin and Matthews have d- uh, did in the past as well. Um, both are outstanding players. Um, I know it's regular season. Carroll had the advantage over Nick where he had 51 points compared to Robertson's 45. 
But um, I, I, I mean, ages is not. They have the cutoff limit. He falls into that category no matter what. So I think you do think that Kirill Kaprizov is the favorite. But you can't discredit, like you said, what both Robertson and, and Nadelkovich did because I think Nadelkovich is going to be the starter from here on out for Carolina. Um, it looks like Peter Morasic and James Reimer could be on the way out. And they solidified their spot as, like, game, game-breaking players. So um, I'm going to go with Kaprizov, but I do not think or I do think that Robertson and Nadelkovich do have a really good chance. I th- I'm going to say Kaprizov by the narrowest of margins. I'm right there with you. I was going to say I think it'll be Kaprizov, but I think it's going to be very close, and I think Robertson's going to be the guy who comes in second. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just think what he was able to do, um, as you mentioned, uh, you know, second in team scoring, just, you know, a legitimate uh, threat offensively as well. Um, it made him, you know, somebody that uh, is is definitely worth considering when it comes to the, the Calder Trophy. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Robertson won it, but... I do think Kaprasov is the favorite, and I think he's going to be the one that takes takes it home. Mm-hmm. Um, going to the Hart Memorial Trophy, and again, this is one that I have battled and battled and battled because it's Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid. Obviously, what McDavid's done, um, or what McDavid did, hundred plus points in in fifty six games, just incredible. You know, obviously Nathan McKinnon on the Colorado Avalanche. You know what he—he's he, just a stud of a player as well. But Austin Matthews in his 40-plus goals in you know less than 56 games, um, that to me is an accomplishment that I think we talked. His his scoring rate was the best it's of any player in the last 35 years, and that's why. Uh, I mean, I would I would give. Austin Matthews a number of first place votes you have to remember Austin Matthews was on a team where you know your starting goalie went down and missed 50 games mm-hmm. um and, and and that's why you know it, it's that much more and he was that much more valuable to his team I mean obviously he's surrounded by some star players in Tavares and Nylander and, and Marner as well but McDavid's got Dreisaitl McDavid does have, you know, the supporting cast in Nuge and, you know, guys like Tyson Berry who had a hell of a year. Um, that said, he also had Mike Smith in that who, who, you know, had one of his better years, but still not a grade A goalie. So I do think Connor McDavid takes this one. I, again, would not be shocked if Austin Matthews snuck it out. I don't think it's going to happen. I would love to see it happen. But I do think Connor McDavid takes this one. Yeah, zero point seven eight nine goals per game for Matthews uh, as you know f- the highest one for a season. Obviously, he's not going to reach Joe Malone of two point two from nineteen seventeen eighteen. But you know, respectful given where you know the league is at right now and how sometimes it can be really difficult to score goals. I mean, he just scores at an unbelievable pace, but. Given the fact that McDavid, McDavid and Dreisaitl are the only two players of the Edmonton Oilers right now, 
And I'm not going to get into that argument. It is a fact. Like, I know at one point during one of the podcasts, there was a massive sizable gap between Dreisaitl and the next available forward in terms of points. And I believe it was Nugent Hawkins, and he only had about 30 or 40 points. Um, but for the for the amount of production that McDavid had this season, it is unbelievable where he had over 100 points in 56 games. And he probably would have maybe reached 140 if there were a full 82-game season. Um, it's, I, again, like you, I, I'm not going to say this because, you know, this is a Leaf podcast. Austin Matthews does deserve to win it, but I'm going to give it to McDavid considering the fact that the Edmonton Oilers would be nowhere near the playoffs or in the playoffs if he didn't have the amount of points that he did. Yeah, I think any other season, I think it's a given that Matthews takes it home. I think because of the season, because of the shortened season, what McDavid was able to do, I think you're talking about a different story. I think mm-hmm. I think, you know, McDavid's obviously gonna take this home, but I, I do think that this if this was any other season, if we were talking about a regular time, eighty two games, you're traveling, you're playing every team, you're talking about Matthews as the as the potential hard trophy winner. He was on pace for 158 points this year. If there was a full 82 game season, that when was the last time a player reached 100, 150 points? Yeah, I, I, I you, you can't. I, I want to say maybe you know Gretzky, Lemieux. I'm trying to search up the actual points at Hockey Reference right now for single season, but it's you're looking at like. Last player to hit 150 points in a season. It's obviously, you know, you have Steve Eiserman, 155. Phyllis Pizzito had 152. Bernie Nichols had 150. Um, only a few players have had 150 or more points in one season. And it's Nichols, Esposito, Eiserman, Lemieux, and Gretzky all the way up to top. So very few players have done it. McDavid could have been in history. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think what he was able to do is like something that we probably won't witness again. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I, I, I love it. I love the competition. I love the, the chatter between, you know, Matthews or McDavid. Um, I love to fuel the fire a little bit. And uh, I, I while I do think this goes to McDavid, I think Matthews, you know, what, a, what an unbelievable season he had as well. And he was incredibly valuable to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Absolutely. Moving on to the James Norris Memorial Trophy. This one's fun as well. Adam Fox Oof. of the New York Rangers, Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. Who do you have? Uh, I do I do not think that Victor Hedman had the season worthy of being a Norris contender. Looking at some of his underlying numbers, uh, some of his charts or whatever, you can see that maybe he didn't have the quite best defensive numbers. Offensively, yeah, he's obviously an offensive stalwart, but defensively it wasn't quite there. Adam Fox was a major force on a, on a New York Ranger team that struggled at times quite a bit. And now that they have Gerard Gallant as a head coach, they're probably going to be in a better spot. And I think his play really solidifies himself as a potential game-changing defenseman on the back end, setting up plays, his shot. But I think you got to go with Kale McCarr on this one. I, 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 As great of a season that Adam Fox has had, 
Kale McCarr is just above and beyond. Like, he's absolutely dynamite. And the way that he moves, the way that he's coming back on the back check, getting the points that he's getting, it's absolutely unbelievable what we're witnessing with this kid right now. And honestly, I would, I, I, as much as we tend to dislike the Boston Bruins, I thought Charlie McAvoy probably should have gained some notoriety this season as well. I thought he was really good as, you know, play at both ends instead of just one like Victor Hedman. Um, yeah, I, I, there's reason to suggest that maybe Adam Fox could win it, but I think it, the majority of votes are going to go to Kel McCarr. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, again, <clears throat> I was leaning towards Fox. The only reason I, I think differently is one, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Kale McCarr was able to to produce at a, at a point per game pace, 44 points in 44 games this season. Fox had 47 in 55 games. 23 of his points were power play points, whereas uh, only 22 of the 44 points that Kale McCarr put up were power play points. As well, he scored three more goals than Adam Fox. So I think mm-hmm. those numbers alone kind of dictate that you know you're looking at Kale McCarr as the as the potential uh, Norris Trophy winner, um, like you, I, I mean, I don't think Victor Hedman should even be in the in the uh, in the finalists. I, I I don't think he had a bad season. I just don't yeah. think his season was worthy of a Norris Trophy uh, vote. Mm-hmm. Um, but that again, that's just my opinion. Um, there's a reason I don't get a vote, just like Damian Cox. And uh, <laughs> anyways. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's you know I I think Kale McCarr takes this one home just on those numbers alone, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Adam Fox in this conversation again next year when we're uh, you know sitting here doing the same thing, going through these uh, these finalists. Definitely, the Ted Lindsay Award again. Austin Matthews up for the Ted Lindsay. Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. The Ted Lindsay was formerly known as the Lester B. Pearson Award. It is given to a player deemed most valuable to their team as voted by on the NHL, uh, sorry, by the NHL Players Association. So, again, very similar to the Hart Trophy, only it's being voted on by the NHL's players, or the NHL Players Association. Could we see a little bit of a different push in the Matthews direction on this one? Maybe, but again, it's hard to discredit or not look at what McDavid did. I mean... I mean, it's it, it, th- th- this one is really difficult because both again, both had phenomenal seasons. Um, are you going for overall points? Or are you looking at the goals? And it's again, it's like you. It's, there's a reason why I don't have a say in this yet or at all because hey, I'm I'm struggling myself. But if the player the the players see what's going on, even though they weren't playing against each other, they see what was going on. And the fact that McDavid and Matthews had record-breaking seasons, I think there's a case for both. But again, the amount of points and the amount of uh, assists that McDavid has been setting up and how dominant he's been, I think you got to give it to him as well. That, that is to say that Matthews doesn't have a chance because he does. Yeah, no, and I agree. I, I think Matthews does have a chance in this situation. Um, that said, I do think McDavid's going to be voted, uh, just again, simply the point total alone is just incredible. Um, I do think Matthew should get more consideration because of, 
you know, what what the Leafs had to go through with injuries and such throughout the season, um, Matthews included. And and remember, Matthews did a lot of this without with you know half a half a wrist. So, mm-hmm. uh, do they take that into consideration? Maybe, maybe not. Um, again, I'm leaning more towards McDavid only because. I feel that's the way that the Players Association is going to go, um, but I wouldn't be shocked again if if Matthews got got the call. Crosby again, he's I mean, there's no question he was valuable to his team. What he was able to do for Pittsburgh, uh, especially with Malkin out of the lineup, um, yeah, I mean Crosby's a perennial you know name that should be uh, among some of these uh, some of these awards, and and he did what he he's done for a number of years in the league. So I think he he was valuable to the Penguins as well. I, I'm sure there's like 10 other names we could put on this list as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that that's that's where we're at. So looking at the leaderboards on Hockey Reference, it's obviously Matthews is leading all the offensive categories with goals, even strength goals, uh, game winning goals, um, shots, goals per game, adjusted goals per game, McDavid, assists, points. Uh, hat tricks, goal, uh, adjusted assists per game, assisted, uh, adjusted points per game, assists per game. So they're at the top of their game right now. So I think it's going to come, it's going to come down to those two. Nothing against Sidney Crosby, but th- these two had phenomenal seasons. Again, it's it, it, it could go either way with either Matthews or McDavid right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we do have one more trophy to talk about, but I'm just going to quickly throw out there. Beauvillier just sent the. Islanders and Tampa Bay to a game seven with his overtime mm. winner. So we are going to see a game seven ahead of the Stanley cup final. Um, man, this could go either way. This could go either way. Let's just hope Chris Lee isn't officiating the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all know Peter loves Chris Lee. <laughs> well, I made a point who has been the most inconsistent or like the one that hasn't been great at all this season, Chris Lee or Graham Skilleter. And we know Graham quite a bit, considering the calls that he let go against the Maple Leafs quite a bit this season. So, yeah, yeah, another story for another day. But the NHL needs to get their act together with their officials. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, the Vesna Trophy is our last one. Mark andre Fleury, Philip Grubauer, and Andre Vasilevsky. Um, this one's interesting because I, I do think Grubauer has the numbers to do to – uh, you know, take this one home. I do think Flurry also put up some incredible numbers and reached some incredible milestones over the year to, you know, maybe gain consideration as well for the Vesna Trophy. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, dominant all season in in the crease. I mean, we've seen, seen him struggle against the Montreal Canadiens right now, but granted the whole entire Vegas Knights haven't clicked once in this uh, semifinal but he's he stood tall and he did his damnedest to give him a chance to win every single night. But let's face it, um, I'm giving my vote to Vasilevsky. He's there's a reason why there's an importance around goaltending, and there he's the main reason why they could go back to back. I mean, knock on wood, given that the Tampa and the Islanders are going to Game Seven, but he's the reason why they've got to this point as well, granted with their offense, but he's been a solid um, wall in net for them right now. And his numbers just are, are like video game, like stats as well. So um, I, I, I'm giving it to Vasilevsky. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to go with Grubauer on this one. I just think what he did uh, with Colorado was uh, insane as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, all, all of these will be announced during the Stanley Cup final, so look forward to those. Uh, see if we're right, see if we're wrong. Uh, join, the, <laughs> join the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, I, I want to jump real quick into the last few notes here uh, before we get over the Leafs talk. Liam Kirk signed a, an entry-level deal with the Arizona Coyotes. I had the chance to talk to Liam Kirk at the um, Combine in Buffalo a few years back, and I'm telling you, this kid is driven. This kid's small. Yeah, he's coming from Great Britain. Maybe not your your prototypical, you know, hockey development program. Um, but what he was able to do at the World Championship, um, what he what he's been able to do at the OHL level, um, watch for this kid because the three year entry level deal, it was deserved. I think Arizona needs to give this kid an opportunity to develop his game and and potentially make the NHL because I think you're going to be surprised at the skill set that this kid has. I'm excited to watch him. Um, I, I think it's a great signing by 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 Arizona. Um, but yeah, I just I, I had to I had to mention that before we get over to Leaf Talk. Also, before we get over to Leaf Talk, I also have some obviously awful news. I think. Like I, we've said this a hundred times on this podcast. Yeah. Um, there's always some sad, sad news in the hockey world. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we uh, we lost Rene Robert, uh, part of the French Connection line in Buffalo, and Tom Curvers, former Toronto Maple Leaf, among other teams. Um, you know, both obviously, you know, big big parts of the hockey world. Um, Curvers, obviously, you know, it, it was way, way, way too early. Uh, for him to go, but uh, ju- just sat, you know, to their friends, to their family, to their teammates, to all those listening, um, you know, if you get a chance, take a moment uh, and just and just think back to what these guys meant to the the hockey world during their careers as well. Definitely, yeah. Let's jump over to Maple Leaf talk because we do have a lot to go through. Um, the rumors that are flying, the potential for guys to be gone. Obviously, Seattle jumping into the mix here. I want to start it off with Thornton versus Perry. And this is something I added to our notes here because I saw a tweet, and I can't remember who it was, but they mentioned if the Leafs had signed Corey Perry, they'd be in the Stanley Cup final. And my question to you, is if they signed Corey Perry, left Joe Thornton off the roster, would the Maple Leafs be in the Stanley Cup final? Uh, that is difficult. That is a difficult situation right now. Um, it would be interesting to see what would happen if Corey Perry would be with the Maple Leafs. Um, just the way that he's playing right now says it all. And he's being a really dynamic force and kind of the bottom six uh, type of player that we need with the Maple Leafs. Um, you know, Wayne Simmons didn't really cut it out. Joe Thornton really didn't have the, the amount of key that we needed. And it's, it is interesting to see what would happen if, you know, Corey Perry was in that situation and we had that kind of depth with uh, Simmons and Thornton. Yeah, I think I think realistically, you know, to get a guy like Perry, it just it, he would have added a little bit more edge. And I think we saw Simmons 
his edge kind of die off a little bit in the playoffs. You know, Thornton, his energy kind of died off a little bit heading into the playoffs. Um, I think a guy like Corey Perry, I mean, we've seen what he's done with Montreal. We've seen him come back with a bloody face, congratulate his teammates, take that high stick, be that grinder in front of the net. I think he would have changed the dynamic slightly. And could, would they have been in the Stanley Cup final? Maybe. Um, would they have gotten past Montreal? Absolutely. And I think Perry was a big force in that Montreal series. I think he was he was a role player. He knew what his role was. And I think, uh, you know, to have him on the Leafs would have changed the complexion of their, their season ever so slightly to at least get past that first round. Yeah. And uh, it's obviously a what-if situation, you know? What if? And it's really, really interesting to see how things would have played out because maybe Corey Perry, he could have been that difference maker. I mean, it would probably would have showed. Yeah, no, and again, you said you said it's a, it's a what if, but we can't really go back and look at that. Uh, we just have to move forward here. So moving forward, <laughs> there are rumors that Getzlav could be heading to Toronto. There are rumors that Brandon Saad could be a possible target for the Maple Leafs. There are rumors that Dougie Hamilton could be a potential, you know, big grab for the Maple Leafs this offseason. There's talk about Riley heading out of town. There's talk about Kerfoot possibly being the unprotected pick for the Seattle Kraken. What are your thoughts on all of this? I mean, there there's so much to kind of break down here. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, two weeks since, you know, the Maple Leafs, or more than two weeks, or I, I, to be honest, I don't even know how long it's been since the Maple Leafs have been eliminated, but um, quite some time, and already the rumors, speculation, everything, the talk of what ifs, who could be coming in, who could be coming out, is gaining more traction. And obviously, this is great dialogue to see what could happen because changes need to happen. I mean, there have a lot of pending UFAs. Also, we there's a possibility that, you know, Nick Felino may want to stay as well. Um, sort of like that unfinished business, considering that, you know, maybe he wasn't uh, healthy and he wants to be back for another full year. So they have options free agents trading i it, it, like you said i don't know where to begin because it, it all start, it all even started too when chris johnson joined the steve dangle podcast saying that you know there's something to look forward to that there is going to be a player um this is from an article by uh, john steiser from the Leafs nation where he goes in depth about this um there's going to be like one player on this roster on opening night that everyone is going to get excited. Um, this is what Chris Johnson said. I'm talking like a big name, big promise player, and no one's going to see it coming. So already that mysterious factor, that sort of like, you know, Elliot Freeman hinting at the trade targets. That was Mikhail Granlund at some point. Um, it, it's starting to creep in right now. And that's the vibe that I'm getting. But also the fact that, you know, they don't want to touch the core four because they want to, they're committed to them. That leaves Morgan Riley, which comes in. What are you going to do with Morgan Riley? Especially if you sign Dougie Hamilton, then you're going to have to move on from him. And the fact that even if they don't move on from Morgan Riley, if they need to bring in that 
depth winger, that top six player, draft picks, prospects. You want to get a return from him because he can be an own rental, but like we saw with JVR, he could leave and it could, you know, you would may you may want to try and get some assets in return before he's dealt. And I wrote that in my latest uh piece about decent options with Riley. Yeah, it's great that you have a 50-point puck-moving defenseman, but if he walks away and the Maple Leafs can't sign him, there goes another free agent out the door. So, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of talk and a lot of what-ifs, and I'm really interested to see what can happen because, I mean, I don't know where to start. I mean, it was just one point after another. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'll give you my opinion on the Dougie Hamilton situation. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think Riley needs to maybe get a fresh start somewhere? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Riley's had a rough couple of goes over the last couple of seasons. Just, uh, I've I mentioned it before to you, the shooting from the point, getting it into the pad, you know, the shin pads of the defensive players, not getting it through yeah. properly. I mean, it's added up to frustration, I think, on his end, as well as the end of, uh, of a lot of Leaf fans. Um, plus, that clears up a lot of cap space for you. I don't think Dougie Hamilton's the fix. And my reasoning, I don't think Dougie Hamilton's a bad guy. I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think he fits in well with a lot of teams. And Mm -hmm. you've seen him leave Boston early. You've seen him leave Calgary early. You've seen him now potentially leaving Carolina early. There's a reason for that. And, And I'm not saying he's a cancer in the dressing room. I'm not going down that road. I don't know Dougie Hamilton from a hole in the wall. I don't think that I think there's something that just doesn't click that he's like he's like a coach that expires after three, you know, three, four years like a Ken Hitchcock. He's a guy that, you know, great to have on the team for a number of years, but eventually he kind of takes his toll, whether it be just doesn't mesh well outside of the game, maybe going out for team dinners or something along those lines. I don't know. But there's a reason why he hasn't stuck with the team long term. Yeah, and obviously, again, we don't we don't know Dougie Hamilton as a person. So, is if we know that he's going to be a great player or that he already is a great puck moving defenseman, he's got a great shot from the point. I mean, there's no doubt about it that he would be an upgrade over Riley. But given how this market is, is he going to be able to handle it? Because I mean, just like what we saw at the end with Mitch Marner and Morgan Riley throughout the season, it, it it's very cutthroat, and the fans are very they're ruthless. I mean, we, we I mean, you see what what's gone on Twitter. Um, I again, he does he fits what you summed up best. He is what they need, but also is he really what they need? But at the same time, I, I, yeah, it, it's difficult. I still think that maybe offensively he is what they need. But again, if he's not able to thrive in the market, then it's going to be a bust of a signing and it's going to hurt them down the road because then he's going to be made the scapegoat just like Gardner, just like Morgan Riley. Yeah, I mean, for me right now, I think what your need, what your needs are is in the bottom six. Uh, up front. Yes. Um, obviously, and, and you know, you know my opinion on on the re-signing of Jason Spezza. 
I love it. I love the fact mm-hmm. that they signed him to to a minimum uh, minimum contract because he's a guy that worked his tail off. He's a guy that initiated the fund for the Marlies this this year. Um, this is a class act of a player and a guy that wants to play at home. Keep him in the lineup. That said, they, he needs a he needs a supporting cast in that bottom six. Ilya Mikheyev yeah. did not work out this year. Mm. He did not yeah. work out. Kerfoot might have been our best player in the playoffs during the regular regular season. He was inconsistent. A lot Played, of ups and downs. Lots yeah. of ups ups and downs. Now is Nick Robertson a guy that can slot in? Absolutely. Um, is is Rodian Amirov a guy that's skating in Toronto right now? Is he an option? Absolutely. Um, I think there's some short term fixes, but I think that's where you're going to see a, a a player come in, and whether it's Felino sticking around. That's a possibility. I don't see them re-signing Simmons. I don't see them re-signing Thornton. No. Um, and, and and then it comes down to who who's going to be taken in the expansion draft as well. And I think that's a that's a conversation that needs to be had within the room to understand. You know, there there's going to be somebody that goes. That could be a Justin Hall, opens mm-hmm. up some cap space. That could be a, a Travis Dermott, opens up some cap space. Also opens up a spot for Rasmus Sandin to become an everyday player. There's a lot of potential, a lot to break down in this lineup. That this off this off season is going to be an insane off season, even if they don't make that big trade that Chris Johnson is talking about. Yeah, and we didn't even mention guys that could fill in a role. Philip Hollander, who you know had a really great season over in Lulea with 24 points in 51 uh, games. Um, obviously, you know, production is, you know, third line quality, but that's expected to be with a player like Hollander, who's going to be that gritty in your face type of player to get in on the four check. Um, Joey Anderson looked really impressive in his, uh, one game this year, but also, um, you know, his, uh, ability to be a really great two way presence with the Toronto Marlies as well. And you you mentioned Justin Hall as someone that could be exposed. I think it's going to come down to Hall and Kerfoot. What are the, what's the Seattle Kraken going to prioritize, defense or offense? Obviously, taking Kerfoot, who has more of a uh, salary cap or more to his name than Justin Hall, could be dependent on that. But also, if they re-sign Zach Bogosian too, he's another one that looked really great this year. Obviously, mm-hmm. points did not come. Uh, only four assists in 45 games. I'm okay but, with that, though. If he plays the way he played, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you saw his speed to get in. If he's able to at least start a cycle with the zone entries and his control that he's had, that's going to be perfect. Penalty kill. Um, obviously, on, Honestly, being also an aggressive force. He's an intimidating guy. Have him back on that third pairing with whoever's going to be coming up. If you, and also, I think they move on from Travis Dermott, not through the expansion draft, but they are probably looking to trade him. And I believe I saw uh, Frank Saravalli, his inaugural post over at Daily Faceoff, I believe he mentioned Travis Dermott as one of the potential trade deadline or trade assets or players to be dealt during this offseason as a result of that. If Rasmus Sandin's coming in, you can't have Travis Dermott on that third pairing if you don't think that Sandin is ready for that top pairing um, for the time being. Because then you could have TJ Brody, who's a left-handed shot on the left-handed side, Jake Muzzin, 
Morgan Riley if you decide to keep him as well. So you could still run Riley Muzzin, Sandine, and then insert Brody. Even if you trade Justin Hall, there's the possibility that um, Jamie Alexiak could be signed. And Kevin uh, Armstrong wrote a really great article on why the Maple Leafs should try and pursue him. That would really solidify the top four and then goes him back on that right side. So, yeah, a lot of what ifs, especially coming up with the expansion draft. But I think right now, if if I'm Seattle, whatever you're prioritizing first, I think you go Kerfoot or Justin Hall. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I, I think it's Kerfoot or Justin Hall as well. I think Dermott's the guy that, uh, you know, he's going to be the odd man out. Uh, at some point, possibly <laughs> through trade, and I think we saw that with the way that that uh, Toronto, you know, handled him in the playoffs and and slotted Sandine in there, you know, a few games over him. Um, but yeah, it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of movement in the in the Toronto franchise uh, over the next year. Um, it'll be like I said, it'll be interesting to see if they bring back Felino. I think that's a potential bottom six guy that can fill a slot. I think a guy like Brandon Saad, a guy like uh, Ryan Getzlav, they can both slot in in that bottom six as well and be and be forces and 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 a guy like Getzlav brings that grittiness as well. So he's a mm-hmm. potential that, you know, maybe he's that Corey Perry type player that that the Leafs are looking for. I I don't really know, um, but it's it's something worth considering. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity here, a lot of opportunity for these young guys to come in and, and really get an opportunity. Um, obviously, Jack Campbell's going to be the guy. Uh, v, v. Helenin, uh is another guy that uh, it, you know I'm interested to see what he's able to do as well. Uh, I think we all know Freddie Anderson's not going to be back next season. There's going to be some space. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be some cap space. It's going to be dependent on what the Leafs want to do, what Kyle Dubas sees in this team, what he wants to get done um, to really see where they go. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Brandon Saad and Ryan Getzlaff. I mean, I re- the rumors piece that uh, Jim Parsons uh, came out where he does mention Ryan Getzlaff or, or noted that what Luke Fox stated that Ryan Getzlaff could be an option. Um I would love that. Imagine that center depth of Matthews, Tavares, Getzlaff, and Spezza. That is intimidating. I know I know we said intimidating in the past with other center depth, but that's really big. And, you know, Ryan Getzlaff is still a really great playmaker. He's not going to put up the points, but he can still keep up. Um, more so than Thornton and more so than Simmons. I think, like Corey Perry, he's still got a lot of gas left in the tank, and he's going to be that grit factor kind of player like Perry was for Montreal. But imagine Brandon Saad playing alongside Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner or John Tavares and William Nylander. If they trade Morgan Riley, I have Detroit as a potential landing spot given that they have one player signed to their left side. A lot of cap space left, and I think you could try and pluck away Tyler Bertuzzi as a result of that, where he's 26, could probably command 4 to 4.5 mil, relatively good hit, and he provides the same type of offensive energy like Zach Hyman, and he would fare well against that balance of Tavares and Nylander. So if you have Saad and Bertuzzi in that top six, even someone like maybe uh, Jakob Silverberg from Anaheim, those are options, especially in the Morgan Riley trade, because those are two players that I mentioned that I'm really high on if they do make a trade. You're not going to get an elite, elite level return. You are looking at top six, 
options, but cheap cap hit, well-rounded players. That, to me, if you're able to bring in those kind of players, there's that depth. There's that balance on every single line because Saad is a two-way guy. Bertuzzi is in your face. Getzlaff is in your face. Nick Foligno, if he's able to resign, there's that. There's more grit and more of that PK factor that was, you know, kind of gone that we wish we would have saw, like we did in the first four games. So, I'm not saying that you know those are the players in mind, but those type of players are what's going to get you far because you're looking at you look at the depth that the Tampa Bay Lightning has. You have like one or two star players on each line, and then you have more of like a depth worker kind of player. Granted, Zach Hyman is gone, but Saad could be that guy. Bertuzzi could be that guy. Silverberg could be that guy. Getzlaff could be that kind of guy. So you have a lot of options at your disposal right now and no, and cap hits that are going to be working in your favor. Yeah, I, I, I want to go back to somebody you talked about earlier in the year as well in, in Raquel and Here's a guy yeah. who's got, you know, one year left on his contract, the 2021-22 season, but he's a guy that could also be a potential grab for for the Leafs, um, you know, to play a depth role, whether it be mm-hmm. on the second, third, or fourth line. He's a guy that definitely has the opportunity or the uh, the ability to play up, um, but he he can fill kind of any of those spots as well. And I want to mention that we're kind of going off the basis that Hyman's not going to be returning to Toronto. Yeah, um, he, I I can't see it. No, and I think the money just isn't there for him. I also think, and I was kind of talking about it today a little bit, um, I'm okay that they don't bring him back. And I'm a huge Zach Hyman fan, so I don't want anybody to take that as as a criticism on Zach Hyman. Mm -hmm. That said, he's a 29-year-old who has had two significant leg injuries in the past two seasons. And that becomes a little worrisome for for a team, for a GM, for you know a fan to look at that and say, yeah, I want him back at six million a year, five. Let, let's say five, five and a half. I just don't think that the money's there for a guy like that with with that potential injury looming over him. Um, and, and you know, again, what he's done for the franchise is incredible. Um, you know, he came from, you know, we traded Greg McKegg for for Zach Hyman. And and what he's done in that time is, is truly, um, truly what you want every Toronto Maple Leaf to play that with that kind of energy and, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. But to bring him back at that kind of cap hit, I think it hurts the team in the long run. Yeah, definitely. And, and like he said... The players that I mentioned, I mean, I I kind of feel stupid because I was really high on the Maple Leafs trying to get Ricard Raquel. If you're able to give up Morgan Riley for Raquel than Silverberg, he's making it a cheaper cap hit. Then, yeah, by all means, go for Raquel because that gives you more top six depth uh, better than Silverberg. But because you could get more more goals and more points than him. Um. But my thing is this, a player like a Raquel, Silverberg, Saad, Bertuzzi, those are Zach Hyman-type players on cheaper deals. You can always find them. They're always available. You can always pluck them out. And the fact that you have a chance to get them at a cheaper hit, I think maybe you would try to go for someone with term right now. 
Brandon Raquel I th- would have been a better option at the trade deadline than maybe now because he's got one more year. Um, if you could try and sign him, and it's going to be around that Zach Hyman type of money where, you know, initially projected it should be around maybe $5 million, go for it. I even think that even Matias Ekholm could be an option on the back end. He's a free agent at the end of 2022-23 or for that season, but it would probably be easier to sign him than Morgan Riley. So they're taking into account the fact that you have good players that you probably the contract negotiations won't be as difficult as the Hyman situation or potentially the Morgan Riley one right now. Because some of those players have fallen off, have been stagnant, but can still make an impact if they get a change of scenery. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I completely agree with you. Um, As I mentioned, I think there's going to be a lot of movement this offseason for the – for the uh, for the Leafs, and uh, it's going to be a fun offseason to watch, especially from the outside looking in. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously we know that the Leafs don't have a first round pick, having given it up for Nick Foligno this se- um, th- this this past season. But do you have a guy that maybe the Leafs can look at uh, come the second round? I have five. And I came out with it's funny because I came out with my top five projected targets based on not necessarily where I had them because I this is my first time doing rankings and I felt really confident with my list, but where central scouting had them. And I'm surprised that they had some of these players very low. I am very high after his world uh, U18 championship. I'm very high on Alan Zellweger given the fact that he's just so dynamic with his skating, his mobility, and the way that he cycles down low, jumping into the play and rush, but he doesn't, you know, have a negative impact defensively when he does it. He's always able to come back and avoid any type of danger. Same with Brent Johnson, who's very smart and, you know, is a very solid puck-moving two-way kind of defenseman. Jack Barr, really... Colton Pareko type s kind of player that I see in him where obviously not just based on play style, not actual play. And Ayrton Martino are basically my top four guys. And if I have Martino at 33, but if he's there at, at around maybe 57th when the Leafs pick, oh man, I, I, any of those four guys are on my radar right now. Obviously, things could change, but based on where they are positioned with the final rankings, I'd t- I'd go with one of those four guys. And two of them are from the USHL, and the USHL was very exciting to watch this year. Worth noting, too, that in a seven-round draft, the Leafs have three draft picks this year, second, fifth, and sixth. That said, don't count Dubis out when it comes to making a move to to acquire an early pick as well, whether it be mm-hmm. the first round, third round. He's he's definitely going to find a way to get uh, some more draft picks to fill that pipeline. But yeah, um, Peter, this is going to be a great offseason for the Leafs. I, I really do truly believe that. Um, I'm happy that we're back. I uh, you know those two weeks not talking hockey, yeah. get it all built up. It's um, you know, it's it, it's great to be back. Um, that said, do you have anything that you have coming out over the next little while that our listeners can look forward to and that our readers over at the Hockey Writers can look forward to? Um, Yeah, just one more point about the draft, um, which is why I think Morgan Riley could fetch a first-round draft pick if 
he was able to trade Kasperi Kapanen for a first third liner. He could definitely get one for Morgan Riley, who's a top four player. Um, yeah, couple a couple draft uh, contents floating out. Um, considering that there was no OHL this season, I'm doing top ten OHL players if they would have played in the OHL this season. So that's I'm in the process of working out, and I haven't finalized based on how I think everything's going to play out or who should be in that top 10. And also uh, one more draft profile coming out. That's a player that I think should be noted or should be kept an eye on. It may be the fifth round because he's got a lot of pep in his step and he's very go, go, go. And I'm very excited about his play. There you go, folks. Be sure to follow uh, Peter on on Twitter so you can uh, check out all of his latest content. But um, yeah, uh, before we before we check check off or sorry check out here, um, it's been it's been a long two weeks as I mentioned. <laughs> um, there are a couple of quick notes that aren't associated with uh, hockey that I I'd like to quickly throw out there. Um, obviously, first off, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier on. Um, the craziness that's happening in baseball right now with that sticky substance locked or crackdown that they're doing. Did you see Max Scherzer the other day? Are you a big baseball fan, Peter? Big baseball fan, but I did see briefly about the stare down with his manager and Scherzer. So um, not only was there a stare down, but when the umps went out to check on Scherzer for the for some sticky substance, uh, which he did, ended up not having. Scherzer took his hat off, threw it on the ground, took his glove off, threw it on the ground, started to pull his pants down on the mound in the midst of an MLB game. So that was followed up by an Oakland A's pitcher. And sorry, I don't know. I don't know the name off the top of my head, but he did the exact same thing where he was coming off after the inning, mm-hmm. um, had his three outs. The, the umpire um, approached him at the foul line. He took his hat off, his glove off, took his belt right off, threw it on the ground, and had his pants nearly down to his knees. This is becoming an absolute joke. Yeah, I love. Like, don't get me wrong. I love baseball. I was at the I was at the Jose Bautista bat flip game. It was one of the greatest sporting events I or greatest sporting moments I've witnessed live. Mm-hmm. This is an absolute embarrassment. Yeah, the fact that this is going on is is ridiculous. And I I, I could, yeah, it, it's just because even yesterday I, we saw I was watching the Jays game and Ross Stripling every single time he had to come out he had to check in with the refs and he was smiling about it. I get it, but at the same time it is getting way too annoying right now. Because let's face it, there was a whole issue about the whole blisters thing in the past and the kind of balls that they're using that it affects their grip or um, depending on how they throw it, at least the blisters and the marks and and pitchers were complaining about it. To me, I think if you're using some sort of substance, you're getting a better grip. So you avoid those blisters and that kind of injury where you're going to be prolonged out until your hand is fully healed and then you can start pitching again. So I think that stuff is helping with the grip and control so they avoid injury. The fact that they're cracking down on that, it, it again, I, I don't know the full scope of things, but to me, if that's the case where they are using it to prevent an injury and get a better grip in the process, I mean, it, it's 
it's not really I don't want to call it cheating, but it's not like they're using steroids or whatever, right? It's just something for a better control and grip. Yeah, no, I, I I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I just I, I think the way that they're going about it is getting it, it's getting silly. It's getting stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that pitchers are making a joke about it um, just kind of shows you how how ridiculous it is getting, but. Um, regardless, it's happening. Uh, if you want some entertainment, definitely watch the MLB <laughs> right now. Um, I, I should note there, sorry, there is one more hockey note. Carl Gunnarsson did, uh, announce his retirement today yes. as well. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave this episode without mentioning that. Um, obviously a former Leaf, um, you know, a Stanley Cup winner with the, with the St. Louis Blues played 12 seasons in the NHL. Um, I, I think an undervalued and underappreciated defenseman, but I uh, just want to congratulate uh, Carl Gunnarsson on a fabulous career at the NHL level. Um, Absolutely. Be, before we go, two more quick notes. Congratulations. And I don't know if congratulations is the right word, but I want to throw my support out there for Carl Nassib, um, who became the first active NFL player mm-hmm. to come out as gay. Yes. Um I, I think uh, what he's uh, again. If if you watch this video, I don't think he's doing it to to attract media co- media coverage. I think he's just trying to admit to to be comfortable with himself mm-hmm. and, and being able to do it openly and 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 show the support for the you know the the community, the gay community, and and, and you know open that door to trying to find more acceptance, not just all around but in sport as well so to him um you know you've got at least my full support uh and um yeah i mean i i think it's a great moment for sports i think it's a great moment for the nfl and i i hope i hope that this is just the beginning to more openness when it comes to that kind of stuff in sports in general yeah, my 100% my support as well. Um, I know in his video that uh, he, um, I'm not going to quote a word for a word because I don't know exactly the words that he said, but he did mention the fact that, you know, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have to make these kind of videos to show that we're, you know, that they are coming out and we should just be accepting them for who they are. Like we shouldn't have to make an announcement because they live in fear of what can happen. And the fact that, you know, he did what he did shows the strength and bravery and we accept them no matter what. And I, I like you. I wish we more would come out and so that we could just be accepting of them. And they're human beings just like you and me. And again, congrats, Carl. Um, you know, um, really nothing else to say. Uh, true, yeah, be you. true courage be and bravery. You. Yeah, that's it. Be you. Definitely be who true, you are. True courage and bravery. Um, lastly, you know me. I love my documentaries. And uh, <laughs> with the way that this whole this whole podcast started um, with with the COVID lockdown and, and our constant discussions of COVID and and all that fun, fun stuff, I, I wanted to make note of uh, a documentary that I watched on uh, Apple TV just the other day uh it was the year the earth changed and uh narrated by david attenborough um just uh, a, a great documentary about how even within the three to six months that we were on lockdown the whole world was on lockdown at the beginning of all this the way that the the earth has rebounded 
um, in terms of endangered species. Um, I believe they said there's a there, there's a penguin that uh, uh, now there was originally endangered. Now their population is up 60% due to the lack of human contact that they've had um, mm-hmm. over those six months. The Earth, we are truly... <sighs> I'm trying to find a way to say this lightly, but human beings are truly the cancer to the earth. What we've done, how we've how we've treated this this earth is is really unbelievable. It's a great documentary. I, I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. It's 48 minutes. Take the time and watch it. Uh, it. It truly is an eye opener to some of the crazy things that can happen with a little little bit of um, you know less hands on from us. Yeah the way that you said it yeah with everything that's gone on in the past it, it seems like you know we are our own worst enemy you know yeah it's it it really is a true great great documentary anything that's done by the bbc i mean they usually do a pretty good job of it but uh yeah. I, I recommend it uh if, if you if you do end up watching it and you you feel like reaching out uh you know definitely definitely let me know what you think that said peter like I said, it's been two weeks. We're back. Um, episode 44 in the books. As always, I want to thank you all again for joining us for episode 44 of the podcast. We have a lot of exciting stuff on in the works. Um, a lot of crazy guests that uh, are going to add a lot of uh, a lot of insight to the show. Hopefully, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but either way, you can follow Peter and myself on Twitter, Peter at P. Barracchini, myself at Andrew G. Forbes, or you can follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod, S T I X I N T H E 6 I X P O D, on Twitter or on Instagram. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube, wherever you can listen or download your podcast to listen to our latest episode and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can bring you all kinds of great content going forward. Until next time, Peter, that's it for us on Sticks in the Six. Take it easy.